thoughts or, or questions or anything. I, I talked to a few of you about last week and uh, had some uh, really great conversations uh, about it. Um, some folks uh, really, uh, I, I think, had their perspective opened a little bit, um, which was cool. Uh, I heard some cool testimony about that. Any, any thoughts or, or questions moving forward from that before we jump into this week? Some of you are like, I don't know, I wasn't here. It didn't record. Our technology failed. So, sorry. Anybody? Thoughts or questions from last week? I did want to share with you, uh, you know, uh, for those of you who are here, I'll just make a quick note. Uh, in Genesis 1, uh, verse 2, there was a, uh, the, I was going to tell you this and, and just skipped right over it, but I thought it was cool. The, um, in verse 2, it says, the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And we talked about how that describes the enemy, and, and we talked about this moment where Satan is cast to the ground, um, and how that is, a, that is a description of the earth after uh, Satan's presence on it, after Lucifer's presence. And uh, I thought it was cool um, that the, the word was in that, in that verse, uh, verse 2, it says the earth was. Uh, that's it. The Hebrew word for that is Hayah, H-A-Y-A-H, uh, not like karate, but uh, Hayah, and uh, it actually means um, to become. And so, uh, what we see there, you know, if you kind of if you translate that a little better, it says uh, essentially the earth became formless and void. Uh, so you kind of see that uh, this is a, this is, was a process uh, that occurred uh, with the with the fall of Lucifer. And, um, anyway, just a, just an interesting tidbit. A lot gets lost in translation. A lot gets lost in language. Um, and so I just thought that was an interesting thought for those of you that were here and uh, may, may enjoy that. Um, I, I know that that was cool uh, for me to see. But um, Here's the deal. In stuff that we talk about, and we're going we're gonna to really get in depth to some things today. Um, this, is, this is stuff that it's been, uh, probably for me, it's been four years, five years, uh, from engagement of, of some of this to uh, really wrestling with it to uh, it becoming uh, evident in lifestyle and walking it out. And this is, I, I don't expect, uh, nor, nor do I believe that this time is, I'm just going to teach you all these concepts, uh, and then all of a sudden it's just going to be bling, you know. Uh, the, the point of this, and uh, it's the reason that I don't care if, uh, if you're a little bit confused or frustrated or... <laughs> Uh, because really the, the point of this is to present, present you with, uh, with some really large concepts um, for you to grapple with. Uh, because, again, I don't want to just feed you. Uh, I want you to engage the, the Word uh, on your own. Um, and so some of this stuff you're going to go, man, this is the first time I've ever heard it. Some of it, maybe not. Um, but the, the idea is that if, if we encounter truth and it doesn't become lifestyle, what have we said about that truth? What do you think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, any other thoughts on that? She said you don't really, you don't really trust the truth. I, I think that's accurate. What else? Any other thoughts? I mean, the the reality is that if if we receive something as truth, uh, and it and it contradicts our lifestyle and what we're what we're currently in, we have to make a choice in that moment. Either we are going to uh, allow that truth to soak in and become lifestyle and change what we're currently in, or we've got to say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to deny that truth and continue to walk in, uh, in what I'm in. 
You can't, you can't remain ignorant anymore. You have to make a choice. And what, what I want to do here in this time is, is I want to present you with truth. Uh, and I, and I want to force you to go, okay, this may not necessarily line up with what I'm walking in now, but I, if, I, if I believe that it's truth, if the Holy Spirit uh, quickens that in me as truth, then I've got to now reconcile that with my lifestyle. you got to begin walking in. So that's kind of the, that's the idea here. And uh, Does that make sense? So it's totally okay. If you've never heard it before, totally okay if you, uh, if you don't agree, if you have questions, if you're confused. That's okay. Uh, that's the idea. Um, so anyway, we're going to start in, in Genesis 1. And again, I want, I want you to engage this with me, so don't just be a consumer, please. I'm going to try my best to keep you, keep you in it. Okay, so Genesis 1. And we're, uh, we're going to start in verse 26. Okay? Somebody read that. 26? Yeah, 126. Verse 26, the very first phrase, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in what image? In our image. So already, what are we dealing with? Are we dealing with one entity or multiple? Multiple. This is already plural, isn't it? So we already have to begin to shape our minds around the idea that if he says, let us make man in our image, we already have this idea that there, there, is, there is multiple facets to this image. Does that make sense? It's, our, it's already multiple. Okay. And then he says, uh, according to our likeness. Okay. So again, reinforces this idea that this is plural. Now, all in this chapter, again, this is a language thing, but all in this chapter, anybody know the, the Hebrew name for... Uh, for God, that's the, and there's a bunch of them um, throughout the scriptures. Uh, God's just capital G O D. There's several uses uh, of of Hebrew um, for that word. We we all come out with the same capital G O D in English, but there were several words for God. Anybody know in this text what the Hebrew was for God? It starts with an E. What's that? Yeah, Elohim and. What does what does Elohim refer to uh, as far as um, as far as God's nature? Anybody? Anybody know? It's a fascinating study. If you go through and look at the Hebrew names for God and what they mean, it, it just shows dimension to God. That's awesome. What? E L O H I M. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm brushing up on my Hebrew here. Elohim. Now here's what it here's what it does. It Elohim is uh, is it would be like if we put uh, an S at the end of capital G O D. It doesn't mean that there are uh, there are multiple uh, gods. It's just infer, it infers the plurality of gods. Does that make sense? This is not talking about the, the fact that there are uh, several capital G-O-Ds, but it's saying within capital G-O-D, there is plurality. There is multiple within God. And we, we know this, right? This is, um, this is semi-basic theology of the Trinity, right? Does make sense? We, we know that, uh, and, and we've probably been reciting it in church uh, for forever, um, but, but what, is, what are the three parts of, of the Trinity? 
great double, but he does roll out. So it wasn't a great shot. It was. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, was a, it was a great shot that went exactly as they had planned. He'd obviously planned to ice himself for that kind of thing. So, Peter McCormick now allowed to shift gears to. Sorry. I'm, I don't know what that was. <laughs> that's just really weird. Um, okay. Uh, so, anyway, the Trinity. Whoops. Sorry. Three focus. So, we've got the Trinity, right? This is the Elohim. Where we see here that, that there is so many references to plurality within this text. Now, what does that mean for us? When we read that, let us make man in our image. What does that mean for us? How have you understood that in the past? It's okay if you're like, well, I think it was wrong now, but uh, how, how have you understood that in the past? Or now? What do you, I mean? I always just thought about how Jesus was just a little different, so God and Jesus together. Okay. What else? How, how, how have you thought about that phrase, uh, in our image? I mean, because this is talking about us, right? He says, let us make man in our image. So what does that mean for us? What have you thought that's meant for us? This is the part where you answer the question being posed by the speaker. I was a little, I was like, take out his hands and feet and legs and just look like him. Yeah, yeah, I was the same way. Anybody else, it was, it was a very physical thought? Anybody? Yeah, I, I was the exact same way. I, I thought, okay, then... Um, God, God looks, I guess, in some sense like me, and and even that's even portrayed uh, in you know throughout Greek mythology. You have this these pictures of of, of Zeus and all these uh, all these gods, and they're always in this form of a man. So it kind of it it reinforces our idea of God saying in our image. We're like, okay, well then it's this is about a look, right? Anybody else? Well, it's not about a look, um, and Scripture makes it clear uh, that, it, that it's not about a look. Um, because what it says is he makes us in our, he makes man in, uh, in our image, in his image. And we know that it's not about look. Why? Because we all look different. I mean, this is, this is simple enough that, um, there, there's even, there's, there's two genders within, within the human race. And so, uh, we know that this is not about a look. So what could it be about? If he says, let us make them in our image, we know that he has to be talking about plurality. We know that he has to talk about the Trinity because he's addressing the Trinity within that statement. Everybody still with me? Okay. This is about parts. This is about us recognizing that we, because we know what that Elohim means, we know the Trinity and we know that in this in this. Uh, text that God refers to himself as uh, this, this trinity. We know that that's what he's talking about when he says, let us make them in our image. That God is three. So what does that mean for us? That we are also three. We share a, a tri, it's, it is a big word, but it's called the, a tripartite nature means that the, the, the nature of, of man is three, just like the nature of God is three. Well, what does that, what does that mean? We've got to start understanding that then. If God made us in his image, that means he made us three. So then what, what are the three parts of man? Well, we, we can see that, and I've got it written up here. Just 
to save time. Um, the three parts of man are body, soul, and spirit. And I, and I want to talk to you about uh, what each of those mean. But first I want you to, I'm not, I didn't just make that up. I want you to see this uh, in, in the text. Go to First Thessalonians. Chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And in verse 23. Verse 23. Paul's address here says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. What is it? What's that word? Entirely. Or what does your say? Through and through. Through and through. What, is that, what does that mean? Does anybody say completely? You got some completelys out there? What does that say? What's he about to uh, address? Because mine has a um, uh, mine has a semicolon there. So when he says entirely, and then there's a semicolon, we're about to see what the entirety means, right? Does that make sense? You guys in English class? My wife's te- teaching freshman English. Uh, and I've read some of the papers. Uh, Some of them are rough, (laughs) but anyway. um, So he's about to he's about to give us what he means by this entirely or or throughly or completely, and he says, "And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ." Now, Paul is talking in this in this passage. Paul is talking. Uh, very specifically about what is to uh, what is to occur with with each piece, with our spirit, our soul, and our body. And what he's saying is that my, my prayer for you is that you would be sanctified completely in each piece at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That that you would be presented completely uh, whole in each of those pieces. But what we understand, from that, and that's a that's a lesson for another day. But what, what I want you to see here is Paul's uh, distinguishing of the three parts of man. I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 4. And these are the two texts that are really, really, really good about showing us um, the all three of these together. Now, there's not a, there's not a lot of text that, uh, that, that has them all three together, but you're going to find as we define these that they're, they're everywhere. Um, they're not always all three together, but they're, they're everywhere. Uh, and a lot of our confusion in our Christian life has been the fact that we have confused, mainly two of them, but we have confused them. Uh, okay, you in Hebrews chapter 4? Uh, go to verse uh, verse 12. Now this is a man, we quote the smoke out of this scripture. And I don't know that we fully have recognized the truth of it, but it says, For the word of God is living and active, and sharper than any two-edged sword. And piercing, now watch this, and piercing as far as the division of soul and what? Spirit. And then, don't get thrown off here, but he says, and of what? Joints and marrow. And able to judge thoughts and intentions of the heart. So what he does, again, in here, what he does is he distinguishes the three parts of man. And not only does he... Does he do that? And again, he's talking about something else. He's talking about the power of the word of the Lord and how it's able to distinguish in all three of these phases. And again, that's a lesson for another day. But what we do gain from this and what we're looking at is the distinguishing uh, parts of man. Do you see this? Are you with me? Okay. 
If you're not, stop me. We, that's what this is for. If you're like, what? <laughs> that, that's okay. Um, so we see the parts of man, and even we see here some description of what some of those parts actually are. And that's what I want to talk about now. If, if we understand then from these two scriptures, uh, and, and I want to take you to one more place in Genesis to show you uh, all three. Uh, but what does he say after he says uh, it can divide soul and spirit? What does he then name? Joints and marrow. Now, he doesn't say body, but in joints and marrow, we actually get a good picture of what he's talking about uh, when, when we say body. If we, were, if we were to define body just through those terms, joints and marrow, how would we define body? What is our body? What is your body? This is the first piece of man. What is your body? It's those things physical, right? It's, it's, uh, it, he, he says here, uh, joints and marrow. Right? This is our, this is our physical nature. Now, does, does anybody have that? Don't look confused. You all do. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, well, I don't, don't trip us up on the hard ones. <laughs> this is our physical nature. And then he says, uh, he, he goes on and he says, uh, joints and marrow are able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And, and at first glance, we may not uh, completely understand what he's saying here, but he's actually talking a little bit here uh, about, our, about our soul. And we're going to step into that in, in, in just a second. Uh, but I don't, I don't want to do that too quickly. Genesis 1, go back. And I want to show you this. Our, 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 our physical nature, it's how we are self Aware, right? You, your your physical nature is what essentially what, what makes you what makes you self-aware. It is it is what gives your self-distinguished recognition, right? Anna and I don't look the same. Our the awareness of who we are it comes in this in this physical nature uh, comes in, uh, in 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 what we look like. How we're designed, and scientists have gone so far. This is—I I love this. Let me just let me just share this with you. That science can never disprove God, but it always proves the intricacy at which He at which He works. That, it's it's brilliant. We need to stop fighting uh, there and start realizing that they're just they're just proving that God we've said is miraculous in in really cool ways. But they've actually pinpointed down to uh, what's called uh, DNA. Right? You ever heard you ever heard of DNA? I'm not a scientist. I can't give you this. Uh, long explanation. Some of you probably could give a much better explanation than I could. Uh, but it's, it's, what is DNA? Essentially, what does it do? Yeah, it's, it's our genetic makeup. It's what, it's what makes me unique from you, Mike, is, is DNA. Because I received that DNA genetically from my parents and, and, and my parents from their parents. And, and this makeup goes down along the line. It's what distinguishes us from everybody else. My DNA is completely different from, from yours. Though there may be some similarities, there are a vast amount of differences. And this is what makes us self-aware. Does this make sense? Are you, are you with me? Okay. You want to move on from DNA and talk about that? Okay, so I, where do I have you? I have you back in Genesis, don't I? Okay, so let's check this out. Now let's go to chapter 2. We're going to see this actually happen um, in, in man, and we're going to see these, these two other parts uh, at play. Where did I want to go? I said 2, right? Okay. 
Then the Lord God, this is verse 7, formed man of dust from the ground. What does he just describe? Yeah, he's, he's got this guy now, right? And, and there's another lesson for another day in here. Watch out, because don't think that both are created in this moment, yet God refers to both in this moment. It's some kind of crazy stuff uh, that we, we are going to talk about, uh, but not today. Uh, he says um, that, that the Lord God made, uh, made Adam uh, dust, right, from the ground. And so it, very quickly we see this, uh, this physical nature. Now let's go on. Uh, in seven, and, uh, and breathe into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Now, this is this is one of the coolest parts, okay? Uh, and this is this is the part where we see all three pieces of our nature working in in the right way, in the intended way. See, when Adam was created, was he in Right relationship with God, or was he out of relationship with God? He was in right relationship with God. So at this moment, now just, I don't know, just allow yourself, don't like make this like Sunday school story. Just be there for a second. The, the, the breath, and here's something that's really cool that, we're gonna, that we are going to look at for a second, but, but breath in Hebrew uh, and, and spirit are, this, are the, often the same. That when we, when we read the word uh, spirit, it's, it's often uh, defined in Hebrew, the Hebrew word for it, and I don't know what that is, well, I have to, but uh, it, it's, it's defined as, uh, as, as breath. So what do we see here? As God breathes into Adam life, what do we know actually happens in Adam's, uh, in Adam's body? What, what comes in? The spirit. Do you see this? That the breath of God is his, is his spirit. And so when God breathes life into Adam, he literally breathes his presence into Adam. I, does that not, like, blow your mind? And this is where, this is the first time, this is the very first time where we see the right, intended, perfect relationship of man with God indwelled by his Holy Spirit. We talked about that last week. Your purpose is, is, is to be indwelled by the very presence of God. Right? And we see that here in Adam. So let's go on before we, before we uh, I don't want to get out of order. Um, first, here's a quiz. Uh, you don't need that. Do plants have a body? Yes or no? Yes, okay, there you are. Come on, friends. I know it's 8.30. Or you're getting close to bed now. Um, do animals? Yeah, animals have a physical nature. Plants have a physical nature. What about us? Yes, we do. Okay, so, so far, we are no different from the plant and the animal kingdom. Now, let's, let's jump up a notch, and let's move to our soul, and let's define... Uh, our, our soul. Now, the acronym here is, is very simple, uh, and I think it's very helpful to remember it. Um, this is our mind and our emotions. Why did I do that? <laughs> it's a little more complex in this second tier, and I've listed them um, together just because of this board is incredibly long. 
Uh, if it was tall, I would have done body and soul and spirit. You've seen me draw that before. Um, our soul is our mind and our emotions. Now, I'm going to define something for you that I think is going to make a lot of things clear in Scripture. Paul, especially uh, Paul, but Jesus as well, they refer to these two things together. They often don't, they often don't say uh, differentiate body and soul. They often just lump them together. And I'm going to show you why in just a second. And they, and they name them something. This is our flesh. You ever heard that word? Are there scriptures that pop in your brain? They're like, okay, I've seen flesh before. I've heard flesh before. Uh, this is these two together. The reason that we know that, uh, and, and if, if you look at, at definitions of what these words mean, the reason that, that we know that is this is our this is our nat- this is the natural man. How do I know that? When we progress forward in this story with Adam and Eve, what happens? What eventually happens? They sin, right? Right? Uh, the, the enemy comes, tempts, uh, and, and they sin. What happens? And this is huge. We've got to understand this, uh, or we're going we're gonna to miss the importance of this picture. What happens uh, in terms of relationship in sin? What happened to Adam and Eve? What was, what was the, the punishment or the consequence of sin? Separation from what? Did you, you may have said it, but you kind of trailed off. Separation from God. What, what actually happened is that, that place, excuse me, that place where they had perfect relationship with God in the presence of sin died. And because of that relationship with sin, the spirit, which is, which was, what did we just define it as? This is where the Holy Spirit lives. Right? This is our uh, connection with God. By the way, this is, uh, this is what makes us other aware. We're going to see that in just a second. Right? This is what allows you to process the rest of your world, your mind and your emotions. It's what you, it's what you observe. It's your process, right? And it's what, what's, what's what makes you other aware. But the spirit, that our, our spirit was designed to be the very housing of God. Now, don't get this confused. A lot of times in Scripture, you'll see a little S. Sometimes you'll see a big S. This is the spirit of man. This is the spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is always capitalized, but it is the Holy Spirit which was breathed into Adam and took up residence in his little s spirit. Does that make sense? Are you with me? I know I'm moving fast, but are you with me? We got a question. Is there a difference between the little s spirit and the That's a great question. No, they are different. They are different. Here's how we know. The soul, and this is where there's a lot of confusion, because we refer to it, lots and lots of, of, of writers, uh, lots and lots of even, even pastors, we speak of the soul and the spirit interchangeably, right? It, it, it's, it's been destructive in that people don't know, they hear the word spirit, they hear the word soul, they don't know what either one is, and they begin to just interchange them. Well, what does that do? If they're the same, what does that do? It eliminates the fact that we've been created in the image of God. It makes us a dichotomous being. It makes us two. Well, that can't be true. 
We know that can't be true. Why? Because in Genesis it says we were made in his image. The image of the Trinity, because he says in our image. So we know it's three. So we can't ever make these the same. What's the difference? Right? It kind of has to bring us to that question. Well, we know that this is our, if, if our soul is our mind and emotions, it makes us other aware, then we know that little less here, our, our spirit is, uh, is what allows us to um, be spiritually aware. Uh, or God aware. When Adam and Eve sin, they are, they are taken from the presence of God. So therefore, they, there is no longer relationship here. Let me just, let me just tell you that, that sin and the sin nature that we receive is the reason that you are born empty. We're born in the sin nature that we received from Adam, right? You would probably all agree, agree with this. This is, this is some s- simplistic stuff that we've, that we've subscribed to, right? But what that does, what does is, what is Scripture say? And this is, our, this is our, again, often quoted passage. The wages of what is what? Wages of sin is death. So the wages of that sin is death. And don't mistake death don't mistake death uh, for non-existence. It does not wipe the spirit off the map. There's, it's just dead. It's not dormant because dormant things are alive, right? They're just sleeping. It's just dead. Okay? Out of relationship, and I didn't mean to make that. <laughs> like the spirit is dead? What? Don't take that note. What's the first thing that Adam and Eve do when they sin? They hide, but before that, somebody said something about clothes. Yeah. We see that literally in real time here, we see the death of the Spirit. Why? Because before, what are, what are they focused on? All the time, what are they focused on? They're focused on God. So how do we know that their spirit is alive? Because they're constantly in relationship with God, right? Scripture even says that that God is walking in the garden with them. There is this perfect and connected relationship with God. But the first thing that happens when sin enters, there is death. How do we know it? Because immediately, what do they recognize? Each other. I'm sorry, not each other. I just got excited and said the wrong thing. I'm wrong. They recognize themselves. They go from being completely God-centered and God-aware to being aware of others and themselves. This is, this is the moment of self-consciousness, the first time. The first time that, that there's shame. It's in sin. And we know that this, that this is what's happened because they're no longer they're no longer focused on just him. All of a sudden, it's like, whoa, I got to start analyzing myself. And what do they do in their shame? They make they make a fig, they make a covering with a fig leaf, and they hide in shame. 
And that is what we receive from Adam. But here's the deal. This is not the end of the story. What did Jesus say? I have come that you may have what? Life. And have it what? To the fullest or abundantly. Jesus didn't come and say, I've come so that you could be, uh, you could be copers. I've come so that you could manage okay in, in this half existence uh, or two-thirds existence. Jesus said, I came that you would have life and have it fully. I want you fully restored back to intended life, which is in what? Relationship with me. Does this make sense? Thank you. Who said that? Thank you. Some of those just fall flat. Does this make sense? Come on. Again, I don't mean I'm drawing these things next to spirit. And don't take some of those notes. I just get excited and start drawing. The wages of sin is death, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. This is, this is why this understanding of Jesus is so important. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. What did he not inherit? Sin nature. Yes, this is, what, this is what enables Jesus to pay for you. Is he did not have to pay for himself. He completely fulfilled all of the law. He, he could become the sacrifice because he owed nothing. Does that make sense? So here's the deal. And this is where we, we, we've got to understand this. That's why Jesus can make the claim that I am the way and the truth and the life. And that's why he said, nobody comes to the Father but by me. What does that mean? And we've talked about this. What is that phrase, come to the Father? What is that a, a phrase of? It's a, it's a relationship phrase, right? The, 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 the blood of Jesus and the sacrifice of Jesus, the intent and purpose of that was to restore us that we could come to the Father, that we could again be in right relationship, in perfect relationship with the Father. Does that make sense? So in him, under the purchase that his blood gave us on the cross, in his resurrection, in him, that's why I just harp on that, in him, in him, in him, because everything is in him. Your ability to be in relationship with God is in him. You cannot get there on your own. You cannot, your soul and your flesh cannot ascend to the throne of God. You do not have the capability. Right before people get, get saved, a lot of times you hear them uh, talk about um, in their expression of what they're living, and you may have even said this. This is very telling of what this picture looks like. They say, um, I just feel like something's missing. You ever heard anybody say that? I feel like something's missing, or, or uh, I feel empty. You ever heard that one? Yeah, well, their confession is very accurate. This is not. This is not a. Uh, just this. This is not just a, a, a feeling um, and, and a description. This is actually a very accurate picture of what they're in. If their spirit is dead, then they are empty. Then they literally are functioning only two thirds of the way in which they were supposed to be functioning. That's why they say, "I feel empty. I, I don't really feel like I'm moving in all that I should be moving in." It's because they're not. It's because in sin we don't operate in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. But guess what? 
Jesus' blood, and I just said this, and I just ha- I have to say it again this week. We cannot move outside of that truth. And it's by the cross, and it's by the blood of Jesus, and only by those things that we are restored in right relationship with God. And what happens in that moment of salvation, and here's another cool, but this is another day, but um, what happens in that moment of salvation is our spirit becomes alive again. And what you, what happens in this moment, you, you hear us describe uh, Christianity, and I think we do somewhat of a poor job when we say that Jesus just wants, Jesus wants to come live in you. Well, this is a very, this is very true, but it is a shallow description of what actually takes place. This is not like buddy Jesus that just wants to come hang out and, and, and be with you. This is literally the deposit, the breath of God himself in his Holy Spirit, breathing back into you all of life. Why, is it, why do we say that Jesus lives in us? Because Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are, are one. They're, they're, the, they're the same. And so when the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in us, it is literally the life of Jesus coming in and giving us life. Isn't that like? Do you see this? The standards at which God set for us to have a relationship with Him are are infinitely holy, and it's why it took His Son. But how worth it were we to Him? That he would go through such an extent, not to blemish himself and step into sin with us, but to give his son, to take him completely, that he may overcome sin and death, so that we could step back into right relationship with God and be fully functioning and alive, all three parts. Isn't that crazy? Does that, does that not, and I, I, I mean this when I say, does that blow your mind? Because literally that truth cannot be contained here. This is why God can say, listen, my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. Who he is cannot fit here. If you've been trying to to, to orchestrate your life about how you, uh, thinking rightly about God, let me just tell you, you cannot do it. Your brain cannot ascend to the holy mountain. It will fail every time. I've tried Many of you have probably tried. Like, I'm just going to get this God thing, and it's going to work out. And it doesn't work, right? Because it, it just not, it never makes sense. This is why he said, look, I don't, I don't want you to make sense of me. I just want you to be in me. You don't, you don't have to get me. I never asked you to understand me. Because I'm above and beyond all that you are. All, that's why I gave my son so that you would just be in me. And I'm giving the full deposit of all that I am in the Holy Spirit so that you would be in relationship with me. So that you don't have to worry about understanding it. All you have to do is be obedient in it. You see see the difference? This is what what we're going to spend lots of time on uh, next week. But I I just kind of want to stop for just a second and uh, and stop for, for some questions. We've been through a lot of stuff that... I'm telling you what, this has taken me... I still, like you can tell, I teach this and it's like, whoo, <laughs> this is incredible. Uh, and, and I've been, and not like five years is a long time, but it's just, 
Every day, there's, there's more and more understanding. Every day when I read scripture, it's like it's, it's opened up to a completely different place because of this understanding. And I want, I want, I want you to receive that. So, any questions? I'm going to introduce one little thing, and mainly just probably to frustrate you, but mainly to make you just think. Um, but any questions to this point? Seriously, I'd like a thousand. I'm not sure. Go ahead. It's all nice to talk about. Yeah. The thing is, how do we live this out? Good. That's a great question. Anybody? First of all, does anybody else have that question? I saw some like fierce arms there. Yeah, I, that's where we got. That's where we got to go. That's exactly what I just said. Is uh, at the beginning. It's like I can show you this truth, but if you don't begin to wrestle with it, if you don't begin to take it and go, okay, this has got to. This understanding has got to redefine some things for me. Then, then all you've done is you sit and listen to me lecture. How do you walk it out? I'm gonna I'm gonna start there. Uh, I'm gonna talk a lot about it next week. Um, I'm gonna introduce a little bit of it now. Uh, but this is a mountain to unfold. And let me just tell you that it cannot be done by you sitting here listening to me. You cannot grasp what this means for lifestyle if you just listen to me. Open this stinking book for yourself. I'm not mad at you, but I'm a little bit mad at you. I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit just perturbed at your generation for your desire to not get it for yourself. For your fast food mentality that just says, serve it to me quickly that I may move on. Don't move on from this. This truth should occupy the rest of your life. How then do I walk out right relationship with God? We should be there forever. Something needs to shift uh, if you're like, okay, I, get, I got that. See ya. No way. But lifestyle cannot be obtained from a lecture. I'm not rebuking you. I hope you hear that. I hope you don't hear me rebuking you. I'm not. That's a great question, and we are going to tackle it. But if you don't take what is presented as truth and walk it out, you will never understand the full life that was intended for you. Because I'm telling you what, that's right here, this understanding, freedom from your flesh is real freedom. Understanding this truth is what unleashes you from the bondage of this world and frees you into his kingdom. It's what allows you to wrap your uh, spirit, not your mind, but it's, a, it's what allows you to walk in lifestyle and says, you're not, even, you're not even of this world. Your, your origin is from a complete different, different place. It's what allows you to walk in that truth. So we're going to start uh, and just open that up for, for just a second. One of the first things it does and this, is, I, this, this should stop you for a long time. But one of the first things that this understanding has to do in your walk is it has to uh, calibrate you back to sinner. If you call yourself a Christian, 
And I'm not going to debate that with you. I, convince me some other day. Uh, but if that's true, then we know what we what we know about you is that you have received life from the Holy Spirit. That your spirit is alive. That your spirit is in relationship and communion with the Holy Spirit. That you are in right relationship with God. Now here's the deal. Knowing that, your center, let's look at Adam and Eve. What is your center and your focus? God. It has to be. This is the first calibration that we have to make. And I don't mean, I, I, don't, I don't mean how much time do you study the Bible. And I don't mean how often are you at church. But I, I, I mean this. Established back in a right relationship with God, your focus on you and others, and this, what is in front of my eyes, what is circumstantial, should shift to the kingdom. Should shift to what is of heaven. You should become at once consumed by the presence of God. Obsessed with and in love with His presence. If you find yourself going through a checklist and going, man, that's not true. I am uh, insatiably occupied uh, with what this world thinks of me. I am obsessed with how I appear and how I look. Then you, you, are, you are off. The calibration is, is wrong. And I'm not saying that you're not saved. Don't hear that. But what I am saying is that you are not, you are not abiding in him. You are not living in him. You are being occupied, controlled, and moved by your flesh. Because what does Paul say? And again, I don't want to go too deep. I, I, we have next week to cover this. Paul says that our flesh is at war with our spirit. He, he, some of your translations may say enmity. Okay. Means they are opposed to one another. Your flesh is at war with your spirit and your spirit is at war with your flesh. So the question then becomes, okay, then if that's true, why did God not just eliminate our flesh uh, when we became saved? It's because your flesh has a purpose. Um, but it, it cannot lead the Christian. This, is, this first calibration is, is about uh, focus and leadership. What is in control of your life? Meaning, here's how you would know what's in control of your life. List the things that would, that would mess you up bad if I took them from you today. That's what's in control. If I took your relationship with Jesus, would it mess you up more than if I took your relationship with your boyfriend? We just... It's a fair question. It's a completely fair question. Maybe slightly unfair, but mostly a fair question. Here's a little known, uh, a, a little deal, a tidbit about our flesh, and this is gonna, this is what I wanted to leave you with because I think it's gonna frustrate you. Because we, uh, and that's good. I want you, to, I want you to leave here not mad at me, uh, but frustrated enough to go get this on your own. Um, I've, I've told you before that Jesus is perfect theology. Right? And you've heard me say it. 
uh, Jesus is perfect theology. If we cannot find it in the life of, uh, of Jesus, if we, if we don't see it manifested in what he said or did, uh, then you better be real careful. Jesus is perfect theology. How do I know that? Because Jesus is the express will of God. So, that's a big thought in itself. Um, and here's the deal with Jesus. Jesus never once in his entire life here on earth. We, we, we know this, that he never, he never tapped into his divinity. Jesus was fully God, but he lived as if he was fully man. Okay? In complete and 100% reliance and dependence on the Holy Spirit. Jesus, and here's, the, here's what I want you to wrestle with this statement. Jesus never reacted to anything. Jesus never reacted. How do, how do I know that? Say again. Okay, I, okay, to what? Well, maybe this will help. That's a good, you, you're going down the right path. Let's do this. Let's define reaction. And let's define it on these terms. How does your flesh, and think about what it is, think about what your flesh is, it's your mind, your emotions, and your physical nature. What, how does it know to do anything? Somebody says Okay, your brain tells you. How does your brain learn that process? I probably gave it away, but... Hmm? Okay, your circumstance. What is it doing with things around you? What From the moment you're born, I've watched this in my son. It's fascinating. It's, he's, re, he's reacting, right? But what is he doing with his behavior? He's, everything he's done is, one, a reaction, and two, it's a learned behavior. Yeah, he, he doesn't do... There's nothing original... Right? There's nothing that my son has done that has not been done before. And everything he's done is because he's reacted to and learned a behavior. That's why we've been able to teach him sign language. And he's already manipulating sign language. He knows that this means hungry. Or feed me. When he's not hungry but he just wants to eat, he will do this. Why? Why, why does he do it? Because he knows he, knows he can manipulate circumstance to satisfy his desire. What, what is that? He's just reacting. His body tells him he's hungry, so what does he do? <laughs> he wants to eat. Sarah, what does she just do? Awesome effort. I threw it to the person who I thought would just absolutely give a great example. What did she do? She reacted, right? She responded to her environment. Look, your flesh can only do that. I know you may think, well, what about artists? And art, don't they have like creative ability to create something that's never done? No. No. There's, there's nothing original within our flesh. Right? I mean, music people hanging out together, like the music pod here. Am I right or am I wrong? There's nothing new. You can arrange it differently, but there's nothing new. Jesus never reacted. Listen, we are walking reaction. Why? How do, how do I know that we're walking reaction? 
Because every, everything we do here, and even our testimonies sometimes, is we, we, don't, we don't testify about obedience and revelation. We testify about our best uh, ideas and feelings. Because we are constantly being led by our minds. Let me just, let me just tell you this. If as a church, and, and Jesus said, this is what I'm going to build, uh, this, is, this is what the gates of hell cannot, cannot prevail against, is, is a, a body that moves in revelation. Um, but if, if all we do in this world is we think of the best ideas, the best things to do, then we are no better, no more effective, uh, no more powerful than any philanthropic uh, organization that you can think of. Because the, the world around us moves in a reaction. They see a need, they meet the need. Jesus never did that. And you're going, wait a minute, but he saw blind people and he healed them. He told the lame to get up and walk. He fed the 5,000 that were hungry. He, you're, you're missing the saints. But Jesus clarifies all of that with this statement. And I will tell you this statement until my mouth shuts. I only do what I see my Father do. Jesus never reacted. What this looks like in lifestyle is a lifestyle absent reaction. And a lifestyle full of obedience. This is the difference. Complete obedience or complete reaction. One of those, one of those is your intent. One of those is uh, is a a marathon on a treadmill. <laughs> So I'm not, I, I, I intended to not fill in all the gaps there, but are there any immediate questions? Y'all are all like trying. I, I see it in about six of your faces. I'm going to prove him wrong. Jesus reacted. I, I will see it. I just don't understand how you can not classify obedience as a reaction. Okay. Now, that, that is fair. That's fair. You, you certainly can. But but it's but it's a reaction, I guess you could say here. If you if you have to call it a reaction, uh, it's it's there. But it, even then, it's not a reaction. Even even then, obedience is is something completely different. Obedience is submission, not necessarily uh, a reaction. Jesus didn't see something and react based on it. Jesus saw it and and did it. So he's not he's not he's not just reacting to a circumstance or to a thing. Uh, it, it's submission to that because the author of that is is God. Is that? I, I just think that if you do that, if you make that transition, you can muddy uh, reaction a little bit. Uh, but I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. I'm just don't, don't it's, it's terminology there. Yeah. But here's an example. Maybe this will help. Uh, yeah, your question. I want part of the clarification that are you considering? Reaction and response is two separate concepts. Say it again. Are you consider reaction and response as two separate concepts? Uh, again, I think you, I think response uh, is if you ask me a question and I respond, I don't respond with your question. I respond with my reaction to your question. And we're going to get like <laughs> get too uh, philosophical here. 
this is this is in terminology, but uh, but does that make sense? Uh, a, a reaction uh, is is a different action than what is seen. Okay. The circumstance forms the action. Jesus, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't have an, an original uh, reaction. He just did what he saw. So maybe there you could say he, he responded in obedience to what he saw. Uh, but again, I think that we, if we tamper with this too long, we're going to lose the idea. I think I it's a, it goes it. back to what the focus is. When you look at what's your focus in, a rea- in your reaction to a situation, your focus is a situation. Whereas his focus in his reaction was on the obedience itself, not on the act itself. You see what I'm saying? Like the, that his focus wasn't on, here's the situation and this situation dictates what I do. His focus was on being spirit-led and instead being led by his obedience. Honest teaching next week. <laughs> no, that was good. I, I, I don't think that uh, this is the time for us to completely iron it out. I think that you should do that. Um, here's an example. Um, there's a... Ooh, just lost my... Maybe that's the Lord saying, shut it down. Uh, there's scripture, um, that, and, and I'll take you there next week because I do want to show you this again. But um, it, it says that Jesus walks by this guy who is lame at the temple we're sharing. Uh, and and we, we know because because we know Jesus, we know that, that being in the temple would have been a daily thing for him. Okay? He's, he's Jewish. Okay, so being in the temple would have been a daily thing for him. Also, culturally, we know that those who were who were lame, those who uh, were, were, were blind or whatever ailment outside of leprosy would have been um, at that place. That's where that's where begging the temple steps would have taken place. Um, and, it, and it says that um, there is there is there was a day when Jesus walks past this guy. Now Jesus had been in this city for a, for a while, but on one day, not the day before, and, and, and not the day before that, on one day he stops and he heals the man. So we've got to begin to begin to dissect this and go: How many times did Jesus pass that guy? If Jesus was just a need meter, then everything he saw that was out of whack, he would have gone and met the need. Make sense? On the first time he saw that guy, he would have healed him. Right? This is our focus. This is this is where we find ourselves as Christians. We just like we were just need meters. We observe a need, we we meet the need, and and, and that's it. Um, but. And, and I, I know I may be stepping on some toes. That's okay. Wrestle with this, though. Uh, but there, there are a lot of non-believers doing the exact same thing. Fair? Uh, I, know, I know atheists meeting needs as well as we are meeting needs. Hungry bellies can be fed by believers and non-believers. And I'm not saying feeding hungry belly isn't of the Lord. But there was a difference. On one day, Jesus stopped and the man got up. Now, how can we reconcile that? Except for this statement, I only do what I see my Father do. We know this, that Jesus' focus was not himself, it was not, it was not even others. I know that's like, that sounds weird. Um, his focus 
was completely in obedience. He did what he saw his father do. He even said, he confesses this to the Pharisees. The words that you hear me say, they're not my own, but they're the words of my father who sent me. Everything he says, everything he does is in obedience. And then he says this, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit to lead you into all truth. What does he say about himself? I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he says, you're going to do greater things than me, and you're called, if you call yourself in me, then you've got to be just like me. So what does he say to us? You too, quit reacting. You can live the exact same life that I live. You can live completely obedient to the Father. And it's wrapped up in that phrase, I only do what I see my Father do. We've got to wrestle with that. We've got to know that in that contains everything that Jesus was uh, to be as obedient as he was, to be in perfection. And he says to us, be perfect as I am perfect. It's a hard statement. Got to reconcile these somewhere. That's a weird place to end, but um, unless there's any other thoughts, comments, uh, I probably won't answer another question for everybody. If you want to stay, you can ask a question uh, just because it's five after and I want to honor your time. Uh, anything else? Any other thoughts on that? We're going to talk about that next week. We're going to really get into. Um, into the, the order of this right here, um, and how and how it actually, as Michael said, we're going to look we're going to look a little more not practically because this isn't really practical, but we're going to look a little, a little bit more. What does this look like when it walks out the door, uh, and how and how does that work? But the, the intent of this, remember, I want you to wrestle with that a little bit because the first thing that I'm going to do next week and remind me, but the first thing I'm going to do next week is I want to see where you ended up with this. I want your feedback. Not feedback like, that was a good lesson. <laughs> Don't tell me that. I'll be frustrated if you tell me that. Um, I won't react, uh, but my flesh will be stinking frustrated. Uh, I want to just hear what plays out in this wrestling match. Cool? Fair? Okay. I don't know you yet, but you're like an awesome guy. So you're already one. Um, okay, so, Lord, we know that we have encountered truth, um, not because not I said it, but Lord, I just, um, Lord, I, I, I've seen you uh, just moving in, in, this, uh, in this group, and, and I, Lord, I know that there are, there are lives now that are, that are wrestling and grappling with truth. Uh, and I, here's, here's Lord, I, I just want to ask you, Lord, Holy Spirit, I just, I want to ask you to, um, in the truth that you have, that you have, um, you have birthed here, uh, I, I want to ask you to confront our lifestyles that don't add up. I just, I put myself before you and ask, Lord, that, that anything that came out of my mouth uh, as, you, as your truth, um, that, that you would examine me uh, and that my lifestyle uh, would line up with the truth of your word. Because we just read that, that what your word is able to do is, is completely piercing and accurate and able to divide asunder all about us. So I just ask for that division to take place. I ask those for you to be specific on each um, life in here. Uh, 
And I pray that as we wrestle with some of these hard things, I pray that it would produce authentic lifestyle. That these people would not be people who have heard a good, a good message, Lord, I, I, uh, but, but people um, who have encountered truth and who are changed by it. People who walk in the truth that they have encountered. I pray, I pray that that's what you do. Holy Spirit, I know that is, I know that is your desire to make us like the Son. So I ask for that to take place in you. In your holy, holy name. The name above all names. The name, the only name by which men are saved. Jesus' name.